Awesome. Well, we are in the second part of a series that we started last week in the Old Testament book of Jonah. And if you're just joining us this week, if you missed last week, basically last week what we did was we just spent our entire time doing a high-level introduction on the book of Jonah. And so if you missed that or if you're a guest with us this morning, um, if you have never um, really read through the book of Jonah or if you're maybe unfamiliar with it or if you've never thoroughly and thoughtfully read through the book of Jonah, I would really, really encourage you to go back and check out last week. If you're the kind of person who maybe is investigating God or investigating the Bible and, and you have some skepticism about the book of Jonah because maybe the only thing you know about it is that it's about a big fish that swallowed a guy. Um, if you have some of that, I would really encourage you to go back to last week because because we dealt with a lot of that and we talked through a lot of considerations as it related to the book of Jonah. And so we kind of set down this sort of high level introduction on the book of Jonah. And we did all of that really to pave the way for us to begin sort of dissecting this book verse by verse and go through the book of Jonah. And so today I'm so excited because we did the introduction, we laid the foundation that we needed to lay. And that means that we can dive right in headlong into Jonah chapter one. And so we're going to do that. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab them with me and let's take them and go ahead and turn right to Jonah chapter one. All right. So Jonah chapter one is where we're going to be spending our time um, this morning. If you uh, did not bring a Bible with you, that is not a problem. There's um, some Bibles that are in the chairs in front of you and you can go ahead and grab one of our Bibles, turn to page 645 and in those Bibles. And that's where you're going to find Jonah chapter one. Um, Also, we'll say that if you're a guest with us this morning and you don't own a Bible, just go ahead and take one of ours, write your name in it. All right, we want you to have a Bible, so that's yours. You can also use your smartphone or your, uh, or your tablet if you're uh, that kind of person. Um, go to the App Store. You can download um, the Grace Church app. Search for Grace Ohio. You'll find our app. Uh, we are the Medina East Campus, and Jonah Chapter 1 will be there waiting for you as well. So get there however you want to get there. It's the only place we're going to be going. We're going to be going verse by verse through this, so you're going to want to get a Bible um, in front of you. All right, so as you're turning there... Um, so my wife and I, we have three little, little ones right now. So we have uh, two little boys, five and six. And then, of course, we have a new little princess. She's about a month old, little daughter. And uh, so as you guys can imagine, uh, we are equally as happy as we are exhausted. And uh, some of you guys can relate with that, but we're loving that. But uh, my oldest son right now is six. But when he was two years old, back up about four years ago when he was two, um, he developed an um, allergy-induced asthma. And some of you might have kids or maybe you're like this, but he had this allergy-induced asthma. And so there was this prolonged period of time when my son, whenever he would laugh or whenever he would cry or whenever he would cough, he would break into this fit of croupy cough. You guys know what I mean when I say croupy cough? It's like that cough that sounds like you're barking. It sounds like someone is kind of like torturing a seal, that kind of cough. And so he he would just fall into a fit of this croupy cough, just would bark and bark and bark and bark and bark. And, and it seemed like it just wasn't going away. It just kept happening and happening. So, of course, we take him to the doctor, and the doctor diagnoses him with this allergy-induced asthma. And then, of course, he prescribes to us an inhaler. I think it was like albuterol or something like that. Some of you guys know better than I would. But anyway, uh, he gives us this inhaler. Now, if you've ever had a toddler or if you were a toddler who had asthma, um, they have this contraption they built, which is supposed to help administer an inhaler to a child. Okay. So it's like a, you, you take the inhaler and you hook it to a tube and on that tube, on the end of it, there's a mask that goes over your face. And it became pretty clear to us. We had to do this to my son every morning and every night. We had to do this every morning, and every night. And it became pretty clear to us that he hated this thing. 
And I don't know, I don't know exactly what it was that scared him so much, but it, it's not like it hurt. It didn't hurt to administer this thing, but he hated it. And so it eventually got to the point where my wife and I would have to double team him. And so one of us would restrain him. We'd hold his hands and hold his legs because he would try to fight it so much. And he would just wail his head back and forth. He, you know, he'd throw his head back and forth. And we would take the, we would take the thing and we'd, put, we'd have to force it on his mouth. And, and we'd have to wait until he inhaled. And this was the ordeal that we had to do every single day. And like I said, it became a battle. In fact, it got to the point where every time this thing would, would we bust this thing out, this little contraption, he would see it. He would start crying and he would run and try to hide from us every time. And of course, because he was crying, it would aggravate his asthma. And so he would start barking. And so he'd be running through the house, crying and barking, trying to hide. It sounded like a fugitive seal on the run. And we would have to hunt him down and grab him and pin him down and then force this thing on his face until eventually he would take a breath. Now, here's the thing about that is that as parents, my wife and I took absolutely no joy in that whatsoever. We, we hated it uh, as much as he did. We, we hated it because no parent, and you guys know this, right? No parent wants to see their child feeling like they're being tortured. No parent wants to see their child terrified by something, right? But at the same time, and if you guys are parents in this room, and, and even if you're not, you can relate with this. There are times as a parent when you know that the very thing that your child is resisting is the very thing that they need the most. And as it was with my son, the very thing that he was resisting, the very thing that he was running from was actually the thing that he needed the most. It was the thing that would make him better. It was the thing that was going to make him healthy. And in some extreme circumstances, it could even be the thing that would save his life. And so as parents, my wife and I didn't mind running after him. We didn't mind pinning him down. We didn't mind forcing this thing onto his face, not in spite of our love, but because of our love, right? Now, the reason I tell you that is because the book of Jonah is fundamentally a story about a man who runs from God, who resists God, who runs from God, who tries to hide from God. And what we're going to find in the book of Jonah and what Jonah himself is going to conclude and what we're going to find as well and what many of us have already found is that when we resist God and when we run from God, we oftentimes find that we are running from the very thing that we need the most. And that what Jonah is going to show us and what we're going to find today is that when we run from God, we run from grace. And grace is what we need the most. And we see this from the very beginning. And I want you to just take a look with me. Let's look at verses 1 and 3, 1 to 3 in the book of Jonah. Now, we looked at these verses a little bit last week, but they're worth reiterating. So let's take a look at these verses. Let's start at verse 1. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come before me. And verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. And he headed to Tarshish, and he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship that was bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard, and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Okay, so last week we looked at these three verses, and we said right from the beginning, you see that the story of Jonah is the story of a man who is running from God. You get that in the first three verses. And last week, if you were with us, we actually pointed out the absurdity of what's going on here. We, we looked at a map together, and I'll just show you that map just so you can see what's going on here in the book of Jonah. So check this out. God says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, which you can see is just kind of uh, northeast uh, to where Israel would be. And Jonah, rather than going to Nineveh, which, by the way, Nineveh uh, would have been the capital city of Assyria, which would have been Israel's greatest enemy at that time. And so God told Jonah, this prophet, I want you to go to your enemies and I want you to preach to them. 
And Jonah, rather than doing that, the Bible says he goes down to Joppa and he gets on a ship and he heads for Tarshish, which is 2,500 miles in the opposite direction of where God wants him to go. So it it doesn't take long to figure out what's going on here. The story of Jonah foundationally, fundamentally, is a story about a man who is trying to run from God, who is resisting God. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing about that. Last week, if you're with us, uh, we said that the book of Jonah, the literary style in which this book is written, is that it is a satire. Okay, this is a satirical book. And what that means is this, is that it uses humor, it uses irony, and it uses exaggeration. And what satire does is it tries to point out the absurdity of something and make us laugh at it. And when we're laughing at the absurdity of that thing, we realize that we're laughing at ourselves. That's what satire is all about. And so here's what you need to know about the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is about a man who runs from God. But more than that, it is a story about how all of us run from God. Jonah is intended to be a mirror. And it's intended to reveal to us something about ourselves. And while we're laughing at Jonah and the absurdity of what he's doing, it's intended to point the finger back at us and realize that we're laughing at ourselves. Because you see what the book of Jonah teaches, and honestly, what the rest of the Bible teaches, is that all of us, every single one of us, is a runner. All of us run from God. All of us resist God in one way or another. This is what the Bible teaches. In fact, let me just show you another verse in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. It says, Isaiah puts it this way. He says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And so the Bible puts it this way. It says that each and every single one of us have seen what God wants for us. And at some point or another have decided that we want to do what we want instead of what God wants. This is human nature. All of us are runners. And we do this in many different ways. In fact, for the, for the sake of clarity, uh, let me just briefly describe to you three ways that we run. Okay, three ways that all of us run from God, just to kind of level set the conversation. So let me just show you three of these. Um, some of them are more obvious than others. The first way that we run from God, and this is what we see here in the book of Jonah, probably the most obvious way, is through blatant disobedience. All right, blatant disobedience. And what's that? Well, that's what we see with Jonah. Uh, God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah gets up, goes 180 degrees in the opposite direction of where God wants him to go. He runs from God. This is blatant disobedience. And for some of us, in fact, for all of us at some point or another, this is one of the ways that we run from God. It's blatant disobedience. God says, I want you to do this. And we do the exact opposite. God says, I don't want you to do this. And we do exactly the thing that he doesn't want us to do, right? This is blatant disobedience. This is sins of commission. This is overtly disobeying God. God wants me to do that. And I am going the opposite. I am exerting energy towards disobedience. I I am putting my back towards God and I'm going this way. So for example, we do this in relationships, right? God says, I want you to avoid that relationship. Don't flirt with that person. That's not your spouse, right? Um, that person that you're, that you're looking to date, they don't, they don't have the same passion and enthusiasm to follow Jesus as you do. I want you to avoid that relationship. And rather than listening to God, we exert energy and we go right towards those relationships, right? This is blatant disobedience. Just in a lot of ways, we, we do this with forgiveness. God says, I want you to, to forgive that person who has wronged you. I want you to forgive that person who has harmed you. And rather than forgiving them, instead, we do the exact opposite and and we pile on bitterness and, and, and revenge and we hold on to resentment. And it's the exact opposite of what God is because it's blatant disobedience. We do this with our habits. 
certain habits that God says, I, don't, I want you to avoid these habits because they're going to be destructive to you. They're going to be destructive to relationships, but they're the very habits that we end up enforcing. And Okay, so a million ways that this happens. And I don't, I don't for some of you this morning, um, you can think of times that this has been the case. I know I can. Or maybe for some of you this morning, this is where you're at right now. There's areas in your life where you are blatantly disobeying what God wants for you. All right, now that's, one, that's one way that we run from God. That's one way. But there's more than that. All right, that's the, most, that's the most obvious way, but there's more subtle ways. So let me point out a couple more. Here's another way. The second way that we run from God is what I call apathetic non-obedience. All right, apathetic non-obedience. And what's that? Well, here's what that is. God has told us to do something, and it's not that we're doing the opposite of what he said. We're just not doing anything. Apathetic non-obedience. I'm not resisting God. I'm just passively doing nothing about the things that God says, okay? So whereas, whereas, um, whereas blatant disobedience is I'm exerting energy away from obeying God, apathetic non-obedience is I'm exerting no energy towards obedience, not doing anything to pursue. So here are a couple examples. One example is uh, in the Bible, Jesus says to those of us who follow him, and I know not everyone follows him, that we should love our neighbors as ourselves, right? Now, some of you, you're like, well, I don't hate my neighbor, right? I don't want to kill my neighbor, which is a good thing. But, but you're not making any moves towards loving them, right? This is apathetic non-obedience. Or another example would be, the Bible talks about generosity. For those who follow Jesus, and again, I know not, not everyone is, that with our possessions and with our money, the Bible calls us to be generous people. And, and you might be like, well, I don't cheat. I don't steal, right? I don't cheat on my taxes or anything like that. Yeah, but, but you're not making any moves towards obedience. This is apathetic non-obedience. It's, 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 it's what James says. He who knows the right thing and doesn't do it sins. Okay, so we all resist God in different ways. It's blatant disobedience. It's apathetic non-obedience. And here's the last one. And I would say this one's honestly the most dangerous of them, not, not because it's more severe, but because it's more discreet. And this is what I call selective partial obedience. Okay, selective partial obedience. And what that means is I'm making some energy to obey God. I'm exerting some energy towards obedience. And I will do everything else that God has told me to do except for that one thing. And so, man, I'll go to church and I'll read my Bible and I'm going to do all this stuff that God said. But there's this one, just this one little area. And we don't talk about that. I don't let God in on that part. It's selective, right? And what we do sometimes is we will rationalize and we'll theologize and, 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 we, will, and we will, you know, spiritualize away why it is that that's the one thing that we shouldn't be doing. And so, so here's the point. The point is this. All of us run. Every single one of us resists God in one way. That's what the Bible teaches and this is what Jonah shows us. And so the question, the question is not, have you ever run from God? That's not the question, because the answer to that is yes, right? The better question is, how have you resisted God? And here's the better question for us this morning. I just want to ask you, because I don't know, but God knows, and maybe he can do some work in your heart on this too. Here's a question. How are you currently resisting God? How in, in your life, in your heart, in your relationships, in your circumstances, in your habits, how are you currently resisting God? Because here's what Jonah's going to show us, right? Jonah today is going to show us not only that all of us are runners, that all of us resist God, but he's going to show us something even more important. And what we're going to see in chapter one is he's going to tell us what's at stake when we run from God. What does it cost us when we resist God? And Jonah is going to show us that it costs us dearly. And there are painful, there are painful and harmful consequences 
when we run from God. There's painful effects when we resist God. Because like I said, Jonah comes to find that when we run from God, we run from grace. And when we run from God, we run from the very best thing that God wants for us. And when we run from God, there's a lot at stake. And there's painful, and there's painful consequences and effects that happen. So with the rest of our time that we have today, I want to go verse by verse through chapter one. And I want to point out three effects that running from God has on us. Okay, three painful effects that running from God has on us. So here's the first one. If you're taking notes, you could just jot this down if you want to. Here it is. The first effect is that running makes us sluggish. Running from God has painful effects. And the first one is it makes us sluggish. You're like, what in the world are you talking about? Well, let me just show you. All right, take a look at verse four. Notice what it says. It says, so Jonah runs from God, verse four. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All right, now let me, let me just pause there for a second because I think it's probably worth mentioning this. Um, I told you at the beginning last week that this entire book is about grace, okay? The whole book of Jonah, in fact, the whole Bible for that matter, the big theme is it's about sin and grace. So if you're, if you're a person who's investigating Christianity, by the way, and if you're like, I'm not really sure what the whole God thing is about and I'm trying to figure that out, well, let me just tell you in a nutshell if you, if you could condense Christianity down to its basic message, the basic message of Christianity is that we are all sinners and that God is radically gracious. That in our sin, God has covered us by his radical grace. Okay, that's what they call the gospel. or That's the basic teaching of Christianity. And the Bible teaches us all over the place. But I want you to see that here in Jonah, we have an incredible picture of sin and grace in, chap- in verse three and verse four. Because verse three tells us that Jonah ran from God. Now that in a nutshell is what sin is. Sin is that all of us resist God. All of us have turned to our own way. All of us have seen in different areas of our life, God wants this, but I'm going to do this. That's sin, okay? And here's grace. In fact, you can summarize grace if you look at verse four in four words. Then the Lord sent, all right? Then the Lord sent, that's grace. Grace is this, that that we ran, but God didn't leave us to our own devices. He sent, he came after us. In his grace and in his loving kindness, he has come. In fact, if you think about it in the New Testament, the Bible tells us that that's the story of Jesus, right? That the world, that all of us have turned away from God, that we were lost in our sin, but the Lord sent Jesus Christ, his son. And the Bible says in John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. That's Christianity. Christianity is that God comes after, God pursues, that God has worked his way to us, that we don't work our way to God. That's what grace is all about. And I think it's worth mentioning. All right, so let's keep going. Check this out. Verse five. So all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they all threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and he fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and he said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. All right, so check this out. This is, in my opinion, it's actually one of the kind of the most comical scenes in the whole book. So Jonah runs from God and God comes after him. He sends this storm and the Bible says that the storm becomes so violent and it becomes so aggressive that the ship itself threatens to break. That's how bad it is. These sailors start throwing cargo over the side of the ship. They start praying to their own God. You got to remember back in this culture, it was a polytheistic society. So everyone believed in a bunch of different gods. It was like apps for us today, right? There's an app for everything. There was a God for everything uh, back. And so they're, they're praying to every God, right? God of whatever and all praying. And what's Jonah doing? 
The Bible tells us that while this is happening, Jonah is below deck, sleeping, completely oblivious to the hurricane conditions that are happening above deck. He is fast asleep. And what's going on here? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. The author of the book of Jonah is trying to tell us something. In fact, last week, if you're with us, I I told you that from a literary standpoint, the book of Jonah is nothing short of a masterpiece. It is one of the most well-written books in the entire Bible. Unbelievably well-written. And one of the things, when you look at Jonah, kind of stand back and look at it from a distance, one of the things that you notice is the structure of the book of Jonah is set up in such a way that the author of Jonah is trying to reveal to us the downward descent of disobedience. The downward descent of disobedience. Let me explain to you what I mean. In the book of Jonah, you'll notice that from the moment that he decides to disobey God, that every step that Jonah takes away from God, the Bible says is a downward step. And so for example, it says he he decided to disobey God. He went down to Joppa. He went down to the port. He went down to the ship, down to Tarshish. He went down into the hold of the ship, down, 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 down. Eventually they throw him in the water and he goes down into the water and he goes down into the belly of the fish. And the book of Jonah, every step of disobedience that he takes, he goes down, down, down. And then the moment, the moment in chapter two, that he relents and he decides that he's going to stop resisting God and turns back to the way that God wants him to go. He goes up, 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 up. And what's the author trying to show us? He's trying to show us the downward descent of disobedience. He's trying to reveal to us something that I think all of us intrinsically know. And that is this. Every time we resist God and we walk away from God, every step that we take away from God is a step down. It takes us down spiritually. It takes us down to a place where we start to become depressed spiritually. We get spiritually sluggish, lethargic. Our relationship with God grows cold and dissonant, and eventually we get numb. I think a good uh, illustration of what I'm talking about, when I was in, one, one of the things when I was in um, middle school and high school that I loved to do, me and my friends loved to do, is I was on, I was on the ski club. Um, and, and, you know, here in Northeast Ohio, it's a little bit of a joke because all we have is Boston Mills Brandywine, which isn't bad, but it's all we have. And, but I, me and my friends, we loved to do uh, downhill snow skiing. In fact, I still love it to this day. I don't do it nearly as much as I used to. But there was a time in my life in high school when I would practically live at uh, Boston Mills Brandywine um, in the wintertime and ski. And I just loved it. We, my friends and I, we would just ski and ski and ski and ski and ski. And um, I had these gloves when I was in high school. They were these cheap gloves. Uh, Walmart gloves that were made of cloth and I would go skiing and, and I remember we'd be out and we never wanted to go in because we wanted to ski and ski and ski. And I remember it would get to the point where my hands would get so cold that it was like, it was painful. And my friends, they all had like better gloves than I did. So their hands didn't hurt at all, but my hands would be, they would be so, I'd be in so much pain because it would hurt so much. And, and, and because I didn't want to stop skiing and because my friends were still skiing, I would do anything to try to warm my hands except go into the ski lodge, right? And so I remember I'd be riding on the chairlift and I would take my gloves off and I would like, like breathe into my hands like this, which you guys know that is the worst idea because you're adding moisture to your hands and that's going to refree. It's terrible, right? I put my hands in my mouth. I'd sit on my hands. I'd put my hands in my armpits, you know, and try to, I would do everything I could except for going to the ski lodge. And then I found something out. And this, by the way, is the dumbest thing you can ever do. Don't do this. But I found something out. I found out that if I just ignored it, that if I just endured the pain and just toughed it out, that eventually my hands would go numb and then I could keep skiing. 
and I could keep going and going. And, and I did this every time I went skiing. And I think to this day, I still am suffering as a result. I think I've ruined myself because to this day, when I go outside and it's cold out, three fingers on this hand and two on this hand turn completely white within seconds. It's just awful. So I'm pretty sure I've damaged myself. So the point is this, don't do that. All right, don't do that. But listen, hey, don't do that spiritually either. Because listen, we do this spiritually. And here's what I mean. There's times when we turn from God and we run from him and we resist him. And, and listen, our relationship with him grows cold and it hurts. It hurts. Disobedience hurts. We feel the pain of it. We feel, we feel it in our conscience. We hear our conscience saying, man, this isn't the right thing, right? We feel that, that sharp pain of being like, man, this isn't what God wants for me. And can I just say something, man? Praise God for that pain. Because just like in our hands, Whenever we feel that sting of the cold, it's not, it's not intended to do anything more but then to remind us that we're not where we should be and we need to get back to the source of warmth. And it's the same thing when we feel the pain of disobedience. It's not that God wants us just to be living in a, in a perpetual state of shame. That's intended to bring us back to him. Praise God for that pain. But listen, what happens sometimes is we resist God and we resist God and we ignore the pain and we tough it out. And you know what happens? We grow numb. And, and, and there comes a point when suddenly we can't feel anything anymore. And, and there was a time when, when it used to hurt to disobey God, but now it doesn't anymore. And there was a time when I used to be able to hear the voice of God in a clear way in my life, and now I can't hear him anymore. And there was a time when I used to be able to feel a vibrancy in my walk with Jesus, but now I'm just, I feel like the walking dead despondent and cold. I haven't heard anything from God in forever. And listen, one of the results of, of turning from God in our lives is it results in spiritual sluggishness. And for some of you this morning, that's where you're at. You're numb spiritually. And it might, it may, maybe for you, it's been years. And you look back and you're like, man, there was a time. There was a time when I loved Jesus and it was the sole ambition of my life. I don't know what happened. And one of the reasons that happens is when we turn from God and we run from God, it's a downward descending the downward descent of disobedience and it leaves us cold and it leaves us sluggish. It's one of the painful effects of running from God. That's not it though. There's more than that because running makes us sluggish but it does other things too. Here's the second thing. Running makes us foolish. Running from God makes us foolish. Let me just show you what I mean. Look at uh, verse seven. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let's cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell onto Jonah. Okay, I should probably explain that real quick. So back in this time, one of the ways that people would make decisions, um, particularly among pagans, was that they would cast lots. And that was basically like rolling dice. It's kind of what that was like. Now, I want you to know that the Bible is not telling us that this is the way that we should make decisions. It's just the way that they made decisions back in this time, and God happened to work through it. So these guys cast lots. The lot fell on Jonah. And look at verse eight. So they asked Jonah, tell us, who is responsible for making all of this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From What people are you, right? So they just start interrogating him. Who are you? Where are you from? What, what's going on? Asking, asking, and then watch, watch Jonah's response, verse nine. He answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. Now watch this. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. He's like, they're like, who are you? Where are you coming from? Something crazy. They're like, he's like, yeah, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord who made the heavens and the sea. 
and the dry land. <laughs> Look at their response. Verse 10. This terrified them. Well, yeah, right? Because they're on a boat. And the God who's chasing them is the one who made the sea. They were terrified. They were terrified. Look at this. And they asked, what have you done? What have you done? And then it says, because they knew that he was running away from the Lord, because he already told them. Apparently, there was a conversation before this. I don't know how that one went. Like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm running from God. Hmm. But I love this. They're like, what have you? I love the question. What have you done? What have you done? Modern translation. What the heck are you thinking? What are you? That is the most paradoxical, oxymoronic thing you could ever. How foolish can you be? You're trying to run from the God who made the sea on a boat. It's so foolish. That's like saying that you moved to the North Pole to try to run from the cold. Right? That's like saying that you were trying to run from good music, so you went to a Nickelback concert. Right? You're like, dude, it makes no logical sense at all. And these guys can say, like, you're so, how could you be so foolish? You see, guys, that's what, this is what running does to us. Running makes us so foolish because it causes us to have these lapses in judgment. And, and, and all of a sudden, we don't see things clearly when we're in a state of disobedience. I could just tell you, I'll just speak for myself. In the times of my life where I have lived in persistent disobedience to God, which to my own discredit is far too often, but the times in my life that I have lived in persistent disobedience to God, when I finally come out of that season of disobedience, every single time I look back and I think to myself, what in the heck was I thinking? What in the world? How did I think for a minute that that was going to be a good idea, right? How did I not see that coming? And see, this is what happens. For, for some of you, you can think about this. You, look, you think back to times in your life when you were living in persistent disobedience, or maybe for you, this is even right now. And you think to yourself, how in the world did I come to that conclusion? That guy I was dating was just like the other 10 guys I dated before him. But somewhere in my mind, I thought this one was going to be different. What in the world was I thinking, Right? I was doing that habit that God didn't want me to do and, and I, I thought it was going to be fine and I thought that I, I'd get away with it and now I find that I'm addicted and I can't stop. How did I think in my mind? That, 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 how did I think I was going to avoid this, that it wasn't going to come to this? How did I think that not forgiving this person for 10 years was ever going to be good for anybody? How did I think? So, and oftentimes... Oftentimes, it takes, a, it takes a storm crashing in in our lives for us to wake up to our foolishness, doesn't it? That moment when your spouse serves you the divorce papers. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh my gosh. How did I, how did I think for a minute that the decisions that I've been making weren't going to end in this result? How, did I, how could I have been so foolish? Right? The moment when something tragic happens and you're shaken and you're rattled. And you think to yourself, man, how did I not see this coming? The moment that you wake up hungover next to a toilet, right? And you got vomit all over your blouse and all over your skirt, and you're a dude, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like, how did I get here, <laughs> you know? It's, uh, man, foolish, foolish. Running makes us foolish. It makes us so foolish. And listen, here's the crazy thing that Jonah shows us. <laughs> you know who points out his foolishness? The pagan sailors. They don't even know God. They don't even worship God. And they're like, dude, we don't even worship God. And we're, we're not that dumb. How could you? And listen, oftentimes, the last person to see the foolishness of your running is the person who's running. And for some of you, listen to me, right now, there are a lot of people in your life who love you and who are care about you, and they are voicing concern. And you're like, whatever, it's going to be fine. It's, is it possible? Is it possible that maybe they're seeing something? 
that maybe they're seeing a foolishness that you are completely oblivious to because you're running? See, it makes us foolish. So running makes us sluggish, absolutely. It makes us foolish, totally. But it does, it does more than that. And the last thing we're going to see is this, is that running makes us selfish. It makes us selfish. This, to me, is one of the saddest parts of this whole story. I want you to notice what happens next. Look at verse 11. It says, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So the storm's getting worse. It already was so bad that the, that the, that the boat was threatening to break. Now it's even worse. So they asked Jonah, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Listen to that question. What do we need to do to you to make the storm calm down for us? Then watch this next thing. Jonah said, verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea. He replied, and it will become calm. Now listen to these words. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Jonah says, I know it's my fault that this is happening to you. See, one of the things about, one of the things that breaks my heart, this, this to me is one of the saddest pictures in this entire story because here, here's these sailors frantically trying to stop the storm and trying to save not only themselves, but Jonah. And meanwhile, Jonah is sleeping oblivious to the fact that he's harming everyone else around him. And the storm is of his own making. You guys, listen, this is, this is an important thing. Every act of disobedience has a storm attached to it. Now, let me just say that again, because I don't want you to miss that. Every act of disobedience to God, every act of running has a storm attached to it. And, and, and listen, it's just, we see it in every, relationally, the, 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 the way that you're running in, in your decisions, in your marriage, that's not going anywhere good. Right? There's a storm attached to that. Uh, the, 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 it, with your habits and the, it, how, however it is that you're resisting God, it's not going to end well. The trajectory of that is going to result in a storm. Every act of disobedience has a storm. To, and here's what, you need me hear, here's what you need to hear me say. That that storm is not just going to crash down on you. It crashes down on everyone else who is close to you. I think all of us understand that. All of us have probably been the victims of someone else's storm that's crashed down on us. A loved one, a spouse, a, a family member whose their decisions, their decisions to run from God have crashed down and it didn't just affect them, it affected you too. And it's not just that it hurt. Listen, some of you are running from God. And you're like, I can do what I want. It doesn't matter. It's, not, it's just me. It's not gonna hurt anyone else. That is not true. Your, your decisions to run are going to crash down on those around you who care about you the most, right? And it's one of the saddest, one of the saddest pictures in the book of Jonah because here's Jonah who, who has the hope of the gospel, who knows the God of the world, of the universe, who made everything. And here's these pagan sailors who are scrambling around trying to find the answer. Jonah has the answer, but he's the one that's causing the storm. This is what happens when we run from God. We get selfish, we become ineffective for the use of the kingdom and we start hurting all of those who are around us. But what's more, look at this next part. Look at verse 13. Look, at this is great. Jonah says, pick me, up and, pick me up and throw me in. But these guys have too much mercy for that. Look at this. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not. For the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. 
For you, the Lord, have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made a vow to him. Listen, I I think for some of you, God brought you here this morning just to hear this one thing that I want to tell you right now. And that's this. Every act of disobedience has a storm attached to it. And nothing is going to stop that storm except that you stop running. There's nothing else that is going to stop that storm unless you decide to stop running. For some of us in this room, we are enablers, all right? And some of you, you're, you're parents of adult children. And maybe for you, your, your child, your son, your daughter, they are, making, they are running from God and they are making decisions that are causing a storm to crash in, not only on their life, but on yours as well, right? But, but listen to me, there's nothing that's gonna stop that storm unless they stop running. And, and for those of us who are enablers, we're like, the, we're like these sailors. All of their efforts to still the storm are only making it worse. And listen, for some of you, you need to hear that. Some of your greatest efforts to stop the storm in someone else's life is only making it worse. And sometimes the best and most loving thing you can do is to throw that person into the storm that God has sent. Because you, you might not know this and you may not believe this, but that storm is actually God's grace. And we're going to find that next week. We're going to talk about that next week, that grace takes a myriad of different forms. And when God sends a storm, the best thing you can do, the most loving thing you can do is not to try to save that person from that storm. Because when you try to save that person from that storm, your best efforts are only going to result in a worsening of the storm. The best thing you can do is for some of you right now, you have a spouse and they're making decisions. They're running from God and their decisions are crashing storms in your life. And you are doing everything in your power to stop that storm. And you and listen, your best efforts to stop that storm are only making it worse. Because the best thing you can do, the most loving thing you can do is to throw someone into the storm that God has sent because it's his grace that's on the other side of that. The most ironic thing about this whole story, I think, is uh, that at the very end, the Bible tells us that these pagan sailors who don't know God or worship God or even understand who he is, fear God and worship God at the end of this story. And Jonah who's the man who says he fears God and worships God, but doesn't show it in action, is, uh, you know, overboard at this point. So, so here's the thing. All right, so what do you do with a message like this? All right, bottom line is this. All of us run from God, every single one of us. In one way or another, we all resist God, bottom line. And running makes us sluggish, running makes us foolish, running makes us selfish, right? So what do you do with a message like this then? Well, here's the good news. The good news is this is just chapter one. So um, the story's not over. And I just want to tell you, if you're in a place where you're running from God right now too, your story's not over either. Uh, the story is just beginning, all right? But, but here's what I, I want to walk away with this message today. Here's what I want to challenge you with, all right? I want to challenge everyone in the room with just one simple thing that I want you to do this week, all right? Just one simple thing I want you to do this week. And listen, I'm not going to challenge you to action. I'm not going to challenge you to, to go and confess you know, if you're, if you're running from God to, you know, go and confess or to go and make things right, I'm not going to stop you from that. Hey, if you want to do that, awesome. If you feel like God is working in your heart and you're like, I need to stop running and I need to make some changes and you want to do that, do that, right? But, but for some of us, listen, I wanna cha- I'm not going to challenge you to take any action. Here's the only challenge I want to give you this week. I want to challenge you to do work with God. And I want you to ask God, how am I running from you? 
Would you reveal to me the ways that I'm resisting you? In fact, in just a minute, I'll have the band come up right now. And as the band is playing the music in these songs, would you ask God that question? Would you just ask him, Lord, would you show me? How, how am I resisting you? How, how am I running from you? And he'll show you that. For some of you, you don't even need to ask God that. You already know. This whole, this whole time, it's been like a blaring in your mind. This is the thing that God is talking to me about. All right, if that's the case, great. Here's the thing. I just want you to ask him that question. For some of you, you might even be like, you know what? It's so weird. I don't even believe in God. And yet I know that I'm running from him. Right? And, and God is, would you just do work with God? And here, here's all I'm asking you to do this week. Would you simply identify, how are you running? That's it. That's all I want you to do this week. I just want you to identify it. How am I running from God? In what ways am I running from God? For some of you, you know it, but you're not willing to address it. For some of you, you know the answer, but, but, you, but you, you've been suppressing it for so long that you're like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I'm just asking you, would you be willing to get it? Would you be willing just to admit that? Just to admit that it's there. That's all that I'm asking that you would do this week. And, and here's, here's kind of a, a supplemental challenge to what I just said. This Friday, we are having a worship night. We're going to come together. It's going to be very low-key. We're going to have some music. We're going to pray. We're going to take communion together. And listen, would you come to that? Would you come to that and, and listen and just ask God, ask God, would you give me the courage? Would you give me the courage to stop running? Because for some of you, you're like, look, I know how I'm running. I know the areas in my life that I'm resisting God. But I, I'll be honest with you, I'm terrified. It, it might cost me my relationship. It might cost me. I, I, don't, I, can't, I just can't follow God in this. I just can't do it. I don't have the courage. All right, that's fine. Would you come? Would you just admit to God that you're running? That's all I'm asking. Admit to him that you're running and then come on Friday. And even if you can't make it on Friday, but just come and ask God, would you awaken me? Would you wake me up? Wake me up from my slumber. Wake me up from my foolishness. Would you wake me up from my selfishness? And would you give me the courage to do the thing that you want me to do? And we want to come together and we want to, we want to do that together because the best thing, the best thing you can do is to stop running from God. When we run from God, we run from grace. We run from the very best thing that God wants to give you. And so running makes us sluggish. Running makes us selfish. Running makes us foolish. Let's pray. Well, God, I just want to say thank you for your word to us this morning. It's life-giving. As hard as it is sometimes to look at, into your word, it is life-giving. And, and Father, we understand that you are our heavenly Father who cares for us more than we even know. And because of that, God, the things that you desire for us are always what's best for us, even though oftentimes we resist it. So Father, would you reveal in our hearts just the ways that we've been running? Father, would you reveal to me the ways I'm running? God, I, I don't know how... how the other folks in this room are running. You do. You do. Would you help us to be honest enough? Honest enough even just to admit it. Even just to say, yeah, I'm running. And Father, I pray you would give us the courage, the courage to act on it. Because when we cling to worthless idols, we forfeit grace that could be ours, that's available to us. So God, use Jonah, transform our hearts, transform our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name.